0: welcome to my favorite murder that's georgia hart stark that's karen Kilkeriff. this is a quiet episode so no talking <laughs> even us this is your mom has a headache Listen, from a long day can you kids be
1: quiet for one second <laughs> play the game who can be the quietest have you ever that on a kid <laughs> Let's see who could be the quietest. I once did to my nephew who like refused to eat. Like, let's see who could eat this hot dog fastest, <laughs> just to get him to like eat something. And he did it. It worked. It fucking worked. Oh. I mean, I ate it fastest. Let's be honest.
0: <laughs> you won. You kicked of course his I ass. won. <laughs> nice. Congratulations. How old was he at the time? He, he was like eight. Mm-hmm. You won.
1: I'm a great auntie.
0: <laughs> You're teaching that eight year old what the real world is like. <laughs> Exactly. Eater BA. That's right. You think people are going to be nice to you at the hot dog eating contest? They're not. No.
1: think They're going to wait around for you to eat a hot dog at the hot
0: dog eating contest? No. It is every hot dog man for himself. (laughs) (laughs) Or a person. Hot dog person. (laughs) We're doing it again. We're talking about hot Hot dogs again. What the fuck? (laughs) I don't. I want someone to please go
1: back. Alejandra, and because I'm not going to make a listener do it. That would be rude. And check and see if every hot dog conversation has been started by me.
0: <laughs> what if Alejandra clicked on and was like, no, I'm going to actually say no to that assignment. <laughs> Your hot dog
1: talk is my favorite, though, so I, okay, I encourage Good, it. good.
0: She's in. She's down. I just want to see if I'm the hot dog pusher. You know what I mean? I do think hot dogs are funny and fun to talk about, so... Yeah. Absolutely. Even if you start it, I'm here to absolutely finish it, hot (laughs) dog-wise. My hot dog, my nephew's (laughs) hot dog that he won't finish because he doesn't eat. Are you allowed to grab other people's hot dogs out of their mouth at a hot dog (laughs) dog eating contest? Is that something you do?
1: You get extra points if you eat someone else's hot dog at a hot dog eating contest? It's called (laughs) a
0: snatch-away. (laughs)
1: Snatch. The hot dog (laughs) snatch-away.
0: What? This is the PG-13 episode of My Favorite Murder. Welcome. True crime. (laughs) True crime. Some comedy. Clearly comedy, obviously. Definitely. Hot dog talk, as Alejandra (laughs) just coined it perfectly. Oh, should we start off with a corrections corner? A real piece of business? Definitely. I did Lori Vallow last week. If if you weren't here, listener, I did one story, and I did it for so long that we had to take a break. And now Georgia's (laughs) doing her story this week. But Mm -hmm. in talking about Doom... Mommy Doomsday, Lori Vallow, Mm -hmm. I made a couple mistakes that a listener named Kim Chapman was nice enough to tweet about. I believe this is, yeah, it's a tweet from the social media platform X. And (laughs) and Kim Chapman says, episode 394 corrections, Chad was a cemetery sexton, but it has nothing to do with the church. So we broke that up as like, it sounded like he worked at the church and then also sometimes dug graves. Uh Uh-huh. Our confusion about that is he was just like the outside guy.
1: Oh, so he wasn't. It was like a high, for hire gravedigger
0: thing. You know what? Why am I saying? Kim Chapman knows. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't know at the time. Why would I be the one making up a new correction? Because you are a sexton. What was it? Because, yes, a cemetery sexton, as we all are. We love to tell a tale. No, yeah. anyway, so here's the real correction. Yeah. Chad was a cemetery Saxon. It has nothing to do with the church. And also, Lori's trial was not live streamed, even the audio. It had to be purchased to listen to after the day ended. What? I mistakenly said because it was being audio recorded, but I kind of interpreted that for some reason in my head as live streamed.
1: So, like, you have to go to like Bitly and like fucking download illegally. The, the fucking recording of it.
0: What? what Again, kind... I'm not going to speculate. I refuse to speculate. <laughs> I'm going to say that's correct. These days. Here's the thing, though. I'm going to say, Kim Chapman, I really appreciate you sending in those corrections. You seem like a true crime devotee mm-hmm. that knows what you're talking about. And I appreciate it as the kind of devotee that does not know what I'm talking about. Almost ever. (laughs) I really appreciate your expertise.
1: We need a you on this. I bet she knows who brings up hot dogs all the time.
0: I hope so. (laughs) She knows. She'll be like next week. It's always Georgia, except for one time in December as a Christmas present, it was Karen.
1: (laughs) Cool. I'd like to formally apologize to the lovely woman who was walking by Vince and I and Cookie having breakfast in our neighborhood on the sidewalk today. And then Cookie's dog barked in her dog's face. And then she said- Sorry, Cookie has a dog? No, Cookie's dog barked in this lovely lady's
0: dog's face because Cookie Sorry. gets- What? You're saying Cookie's dog barked in the lady's dog's <laughs> face, but you mean Cookie barked in the lady's dog's yes. face, right?
1: Yes. And then the lady said, oh my God, I'm listening to you right now. And then I just oh, was like- Oh, that's crazy. Oh no. Like now you think I have a attack dog- who's really rude.
0: And she was like, I don't even care about my dog. I'm listening to your podcast.
1: (laughs) She had a very cute, like doodle of some sort that was just like trying to be friendly. And then Cookie was just like, I'm tiny. I'm, you know, I'm a Chihuahua. Essentially I'm going to attack you.
0: But don't you like the idea? Because for some reason you kept saying Cookie's dog, that Cookie would have an even (laughs) smaller dog for, for herself. Do you know
1: how hard I've been trying to get Vince to get Cookie, let me get Cookie
0: a smaller dog? And then how many pets would that be in the house if you did that?
1: Five. And Five. He, made, he made me promise when we got Mo, Cookie's kitten, that we, right. it'll be 10 years until we get another pet. So <laughs> it's, not, it's not working. Well, you can shop until then. I And I do. I mean, I shopped adoption places. I don't shop places. That's
0: right. And we wouldn't support shopping for pets. It's just no. insane. It doesn't yeah. make sense.
1: There's so many that need a home
0: oh. these days. Adopt, people. Come on,
1: Adopt. I am reading or listening to an audiobook, Mystic River, mm. mm-hmm. and it is so good, but so fucked up. Dennis Lehane, it's by Mystic River, and it's like a true crime fucking novel, legendary novel. Yeah, it's really good. Nice. And, depress- and
0: depressing. Right. It's kind of intense. What about you? What are you doing? Can't talk about much because of the strike. but That's right. What I can talk about is I went home to Petaluma very briefly just oh. for like to go to a party essentially, yeah. which was very fun. But I was on an airline and I won't name check them because there's so much of that going on lately <laughs> that I'm just going to be like, it wasn't, I'm not complaining per se, yeah, but there is no room in this yeah. one airline I was on, between your knees and the back of the seat in front of you, and I am five six. Yeah, how does anyone do it? That's even half tall. Truly,
1: I got in one of those airplanes that shall not be named in the bathroom. I'm five five, and I could barely turn around and move mm-hmm. in it. You know what I mean? Like, how yes. do humans of average size live? Right.
0: They're adjusting things past the point of, yeah. like, that people can deal with it. It's not enough room. When did it stop being, like, about the customer
1: <laughs> on the airplanes?
0: I think somewhere in the middle of COVID, where they said, we can get away with everything. and Let's stack chairs on top of each other and <sighs> just, like jam everyone in the reason i didn't pay attention to it on the flight up was because i was in an exit row so i had way extra room so once i was in their regular rows i was like oh my god i think i might have claustrophobia yeah
1: you know vince had a panic attack on in an exit row on a plane and he's because he's like six three yeah and he was in the middle seat because he always gives me the window And he had a panic attack and they had to do the like, is there a doctor here thing? Oh, shit. Like put his leg, his head between his legs, freaking out.
0: And was it because people were just too close to him?
1: Yeah, I think he got claustrophobic, but yeah, it was very scary. I should have given given him the (laughs) window. I still feel guilty about that.
0: But isn't that just a different version of being enclosed? That's true. I don't think you should feel guilty about that.
1: And he always says, I pee more. So you sit on the inside because I'm going to get up more than you do.
0: Right. And also I think panic attacks man, I've had many in my day. Have you? Like real legit panic attacks? I had a panic attack this, I love telling these stories, but once I started having seizures I had a whole era of panic attacks wow. because I was like, oh, I could drop at any moment. Yeah. And then I would start looking around trying to prepare for like, it. What would I do right now if I were Exactly. To- Just crazy. And <sighs> then one time I was driving up the 101 going 75 miles an hour oh, and dear. I realized I could have a seizure right <laughs> now. And And it was right in between the Vineland exit Uh and Laurel Canyon, where it kind of does a big S and there's nowhere to pull over. Yeah. So wait, isn't that when you drink cold brew? No, the cold brew was when I started crying with no emotions. (laughs) 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 I just wept for no reason.
1: See, I've always just had a low level—not low, a medium
0: level of anxiety, but I don't get panic attacks. Thank fucking God. You know what I mean? Well, the problem with them is they come on like a heart attack. Like I'm sure Vince thought he was having a heart attack because all of a sudden mm-hmm. your system goes bonkers and That's you're exactly just right. like, "What's happening? What? Yeah. What am I doing?" Which right makes now? you it's... panic more. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And if you are like. In enclosed spaces, worst case scenario, because he all you can think is don't do this right now. Like, I can't be doing this, which makes it worse, worse, worse.
1: Yeah. Luckily, our seat uh, mate who was sitting on the outside row was so sweet. And like, you know, I started pressing like buttons, like the light button (laughs) above my head being like, "Ah, we need help. And I was panicking. And then he just like pressed the, you know, got people to come
0: around. He was very nice. Well, because he was like the outside. Right. You know, he could be a little more detached or whatever because that's that is scary um i hope no one's on a plane right now (laughs) hey are you on a plane (laughs) don't worry about it because one millions of flights go off every day yeah i just flew twice this weekend everything's fine
1: i hope you don't have a talker sitting next to you that's
0: worse than anything really
1: (laughs) unless it's your partner in which case like i still don't want to talk that
0: much when we're on a plane you know you know you have to do if you get a talker next to you, you just lean over and say, I'm so sorry, I have COVID. <laughs> and then they won't talk to you anymore or turn toward then they'll you. they'll report you. <laughs> <laughs> they'll report you to the CDC.
1: Yeah. That's brilliant. Should we do Exactly Right Corner? Let's do it. Okay. Hey, we
0: have a podcast network. It's called Exactly Right Media. Here are some
1: highlights.
0: Well, first, to start off, we want to wish a happy first birthday to Buried Bones, the legendary historical true crime podcast hosted by Kate Winkler-Dawson and Paul Holes. Join us in celebrating Paul Holes and Kate Winkler-Dawson, because this week they discuss the Dayton strangler who terrorized Ohio City in the first decade of the 20th century. And
1: on Wicked Words, which comes out every Monday, Kate talks to Sandra Hemmerlein, the author of the book, The Inheritor's Powder, A Tale of Arsenic Murder and the
0: New Forensic Science. And this week on I Said No Gifts, Bridger's guest is the hilarious Claudia O'Doherty. She is such
1: a rad Australian actress. I'm such a fan of hers. She's darling and so funny. Okay, so the fourth episode of Infamous International, the Pink Panther story is out now. Woo. It's t- yay! It's titled The Pursuit and as the Pink Panthers become a global threat, a special Interpol Task Force steps in.
0: And thank you guys so much for supporting Infamous International. It is at, right now, on the true crime list, is at number 14 and overall it's at number 34 which is really huge. You guys mm-hmm. know as well as we do. You guys know More than anybody, there's thousands and thousands of podcasts out there. You could be listening to anything you want. So, the fact that you guys really do show up and support us every single time means the world to us. It's so exciting to see it do so well.
1: And of course, that means you guys have rated, reviewed it, and subscribed it. And that's how they get on those lists. And that means more people find it. And we're so proud of this newest show. So, thank you guys so much for supporting. And then, as temperatures start to drop, we want Aaron, we want to be sure that your tootsies stay warm. Aaron Brown, come on. Don't miss out on some cute MFM socks in our merch store at myfavoritemurder.com. I have a few pairs of those socks, they're very cozy and cute and make me happy. So check those out.
0: means you just made a sale.
1: Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same
0: support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify.
1: Shopify POS tracks sales across all your
0: locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech fits your unique retail needs like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And
1: if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media
0: platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales, and if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com/murder, and here's the important note, that promo code is all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. And now it's time for this week. It's Georgia time, right? Yeah. It's my time to shine. Karen, sit back. Okay.
1: I'm going to really try to stay out of your spotlight. I wish you wouldn't. And you're going to like this one, too. <laughs> this is a good one for Karen. It's almost like I'm telling you your favorite bedtime story. Really? It's not a cold case. Thank you. It's not a, uh, you know, what else do I say? It's not love? the transcript
0: of a 911 call.
1: It's not any of those things. Okay. Today, Karen, I'm going to tell you about the first queen to be executed, Anne Bolin. Oh, my. <laughs>
0: Her eyes just lit up. Yes. <laughs> and are you going to talk about her outfits at any point oh, in this
1: shit. story? <laughs> no, but I can add some stuff in. I can add in, okay. you know, what are we talking about? Like uh
0: puffy sleeves and headdresses. and. I think it was Anne Boleyn. Yeah, headdresses, right? I think maybe on pier waist where it's like uh-huh. cuts Tits, off under your boobs. Like cleavage for
1: days, right? Cleavage time. Yeah. Like not just cleavage, like top of boob,
0: you know, whatever that's called. Just a full double serving every day and night. (laughs) How did they do it? Mm, They they didn't. They had to execute her because of it. Okay. That's right.
1: So Karen, for close to 500 years, Anne Boleyn has been described and portrayed as a power hungry, social climbing seductress who was ultimately beheaded for carrying on affairs with five men, including her own brother. Hmm. But what's true about her reputation and what's a bunch of bullshit? Let's take a closer look at Queen Elizabeth I's misaligned mother, Anne Boleyn. Anne Boleyn. We've heard a lot about her over the years. So the main sources I used for this story are two books. One is called Anne Boleyn, 500 Years of Lies by Halen Nolan. And the other is The Life and Death of Anne Boleyn by Eric Ives. And the rest of my sources can be found in the show notes. So Anne Boleyn is born sometime between 1501 and 1507. Most historians agree that she's born closer to 1501. Her parents are Thomas Bolin and Elizabeth Howard. The Bolin family has commoner roots. Anne's great grandfather was a merchant, but he got pretty successful at it. And the family had been on the rise in England for about three generations because of, of course, advantageous marriages, which we know all about here in Los Angeles (laughs) And and shrewd real estate investing. Another fucking thing we know all about. That's right. Thomas, the dad, works in the court of King Henry Seventh, and then in that of his daughter's future husband, King Henry Eighth. So they're like, you know, worming their way into the upper echelon of like yeah. court. In 1513, when Anne is 13 years old, she's sent to live in the Habsburg court of Archduchess Margaret of Austria, Margaret isn't technically a queen, but rules the Low Countries as a regent for her thirteen-year-old nephew. So she, they are like putting her in charge and shit because ants should rule the
0: world. I mean, I would really argue for that, right? We know shit. We know shit, but we're not directly involved. We're not afraid to be like eat fast, right? <laughs> Don't choke, <laughs>
1: Don't. right? Exactly. We step away. <laughs> Don't, don't eat fast, don't choke? Is that what you said? I said, eat fast, eat your hot dog fast, but don't choke. Yes, that's you know right. what I mean? That's... A mom and dad wouldn't do that.
0: No, wait, you'd never get to get in that hot dog eating contest if you asked your parents. <laughs> right, they'd say slow down.
1: Okay, the low countries are made up of the Netherlands, Belgium, Luxembourg, and a part of northern France. Like... Can we please go there? Mm. It's the cultural trendsetter for all the other royal courts. Like, this is the place to be. And all European nobility wanted to send their children there to learn to be well-mannered members of royal courts. And because also the other children there were, like, future spouses of the royals, they made connections with actual royals. Like, it was like a finishing school for, like, (laughs) royal children. Mm Mm-hmm. So Anne goes there, she gets rave reviews from Archduchess Auntie Margaret. She writes to Anne's father and says, quote, I find her so bright and pleasant for her young age that I am more beholden to you for sending her to me than you are to me. Oh. Like, she was like, this chick's fucking awesome. Five stars. Five stars. (laughs) The historian Eric Ive summarizes other people's reactions to Anne, and this time saying she was seen as, quote, intelligent, self-possessed, wide awake, Unquote. Which is like, <laughs> that's I get it. You know, you see some people day to day and you're like, wake the fuck up. You're like a zombie, but yeah, not Anne. Yeah. Anne was right in there. That's right. A year later, Anne's French is so good. She learns French there that she gets a position in the court of Mary Tudor, who marries Louis the Twelfth of France. Mary is King Henry the Eighth's sister, and the time of this wedding, Mary is 18, and Louis is fifty two.
0: Mm, yeah. Oh. Yeah.
1: Okay, mm-hmm. problematic. Mm-hmm. Louis dies the same month Anne arrives in France. So Mary goes back to England and Anne becomes a maid of honor to Louis's daughter, who's 15-year-old queen, Claude. So here's a quick thing. Maid- maids of honor and ladies-in-waiting are the queen's protectors and companions, the ones that, like, dress her and all this shit. You know, we've all seen... yeah those shows. They help the queen get dressed. They spend their time sewing, playing instruments, playing cards, praying, and reading religious texts together. So they're almost like her girl gang, you know?
0: Yeah, they're her glam squad, but it's- (laughs) Can you imagine in this day and age, you had like three girls that helped you get dressed? It's like, here's your black sweatpants. Here's your black v-neck shirt.
1: Oh, my God. And you look so good in that. Let's (laughs) pray. And then we'll play a little Mahjong together. (laughs) (laughs) Let's do it. Yeah. And the only difference between the maids of honor and ladies in waiting is that maids of honor are unmarried and ladies in waiting are married. So it's got to be cool to have like some new girl come in. She's like your age. You guys get to hang out and have some fun. Also, they're in the French court, which has a reputation for wild parties, lots of debauchery and lots of sex. And so this reputation kind of starts that maybe Anne learned a lot of that there. Mm -hmm. But in reality, Queen Claude isn't actually involved in any of this. And she and Anne lead a very sheltered existence. For one thing, Claude is extremely religious. She's not going to these Awesome French orgies, you know? Yeah. And for another, she's constantly pregnant. Oh. She has seven children in eight years. So she's not going downstairs at one in the morning for no. the fucking caviar because she can't even eat raw fish no. and fish eggs, you know?
0: She's like, I'll pass on pretty much everything because you keep making me have children.
1: Right. And so Anne Boleyn's like, well, this is my girl. Like, I'm not. I won't do it either. So that's like a rumor that starts about her. Regardless, popular lore about Anne Boleyn says that she returns to England with some kind of sexual repertoire that's unknown to the Tudor court. But this is almost certainly not true about her. So she immediately gets a reputation.
0: They've always loved to gossip about the royals. Yeah. Humans love a caste system. They love a pecking order. And then yeah. they love to hate the people at the top.
1: Right. Okay. What Anne does probably learn about in France at the time is not sex, but is about the Reformation. In 1517, while 16-year-old Anne is living in France, Martin Luther sets off a firestorm in Europe with his 95 Theses, theses, mm-hmm. which attack the Catholic Church, your f- friend, your favorite, hey. the Catholic yeah. Church, yeah. and introduces Protestantism. Protestantism. <laughs> <laughs> you know protestantism yeah protestantism though Anne will still consider herself a catholic she begins to believe that the church needs reforming so she's a, a fucking normal average teenager that's just like questioning her
0: background questioning her religion
1: yeah you know the good stuff
0: martin luther was very popular in his day yeah I thought you were about to knock wood. You like moved your hand over here and I was like, what? Knock well, on wood. Let's hope that Martin Luther <laughs> turns up. Out... Also, I don't know why I just said that. I don't know anything about Martin Luther. <laughs> I thought you did, and I believe you because you're like Catholic or you were raised Catholic. So I was like, she knows more about this than I do. Here's the thing. I think I was safe to say that only because his religion was the thing that broke up Catholicism yeah. and actually you're like right. then began to compete with it. So yeah. I I must be right in some conceptual way, but that's really where I go wrong every time. Is <laughs> I always believe that to be true? Do
1: you? It's been almost eight years of this <laughs> shit. And are we at f- almost four hundred episodes?
0: Oh, I think so. I think oh they're God. coming around the bend. So you must be right sometimes. I mean, Alejandra, your assignment is to go through and find every time I was right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's like that, that. Quick, eight. It's been eight times. Uh, it's basically
0: yeah. <laughs> Uh every time you think you're right, you've been corrected. So that was easy. Okay.
1: Anne is called back to England in 1521 when she's about 20 years old, and she causes an immediate stir in the Tudor court. Let me really quickly do some fucking Tudor history. King Henry VIII is only the second king in the Tudor dynasty. Henry's father, King Henry VII, won the crown at the end of the, say it with me, War of the Roses, Roses. (laughs) which was a 30-year civil war for control of the throne. And that's the only time I'm going to mention Henry VII. So from here on out, when I say Henry, I mean Henry VIII. Okay. So before the War of the Roses, there was the Hundred Years' War with France. Jesus, so much war. So much war. Mm -hmm. So it's been a rocky century and a half for England. Henry is the spare, not the heir, a.k.a the one red heavy Harry Harry. Prince Harry Mm -hmm. so he was the spare he wasn't supposed to be king but his older brother Arthur who was supposed to be king dies at the age of 15 just five months after his marriage to 16 year old Catherine of Aragon
0: Mm -hmm. okay sounds
1: like fucking Game of
0: Thrones shit right now right? it is I think that's kind of what they based it on right that makes sense
1: Catherine's parents are Spain's King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella, and those are the same two people who brought you Christopher Columbus and the Spanish Inquisition. That's right. History,
0: stick with me now. Here's just a dot of history. I played Queen Isabella in our eighth grade play (gasps) about Christopher Columbus. And I got to sing a number called Money, Money, Money. And it was like- Oh, the classic 1500s, Money, Money. All these people always came to me asking for money so they could go all around the world. So I sing, I had this whole song about the, all these dudes keep coming and asking me for money. And then I got to wear like a Queen Isabella outfit. It was awesome. Is there video footage of that somewhere out there of Karen playing 84?
1: Probably probably not. not a photo. Can we get a picture for the Instagram account
0: if there were? Yeah, I mean, that would be amazing. Some. So here's what I remember about that night because no one in our family would have taken a picture sure. unless like my sister brought her disc camera, which I don't think she did. <laughs> my next door neighbor, Andy Withington, came to this show and he was in the band at the Ju- Petaluma Junior High. So this mm-hmm. was St. Vincent's, the Catholic mm-hmm. Grammar School and our band played first and they were so bad that Andy was laughing out loud in the audience. And then he gave me shit about how bad <laughs> our band was for like the rest of the year. He just kept laughing about He thought it was the funniest thing in the world because it truly was like like really bad. Yeah.
1: That's me playing cello (laughs) in sixth grade. (laughs) Just see, just see, just do it and see what happens. Yeah. You talented children. Yeah. So the match between Catherine of Aragon And Arthur is a very powerful match for the Tudor dynasty. So they're like, yay, raw, awesome. Right. And Henry's father, once Arthur dies, doesn't want that to slip away. So Henry's father and Queen Isabella are just like, let's just take Catherine, whose fucking husband just died, and marry her to the spare, who's now going to be the king, Henry, who's now 10 years old. You know, the ripe old age of 10. (gasps) Really, she gets to marry a kid in fourth grade? Yeah, a sixteen-year-old. She's like, I just want to take the fucking Volkswagen Rabbit out for drives, <laughs> and you're making me marry a ten-year-old. Like, what?
0: Wow, they I mean, were. I bet they were used to it though. That yeah, stuff happens all the time.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. So he's now supposed to be king. They want them to get married. To do this, they need a dispensation from your friend, the Pope. A dispensation is an official permission to do something that otherwise would be forbidden under your friend, Catholic law. So I mean,
0: I just I don't want to be this related to the Catholic Church. <laughs> okay, I feel... You're not, okay, your acquaintance. You know, um, I'm raised in it, but I have more of a Sinead O'Connor stance with it. Okay. Okay. Your frenemy, Catholic Right, law. exactly. Okay.
1: Henry, of course, is not interested in the marriage. And when he turns 14 as future king, he's able to reject the match. And so Catherine is in limbo for the next three years until Henry's father dies in 1509. And now finally, 17-year-old Henry becomes king. Okay. So he's like of age at this point. So he is a change of heart, decides he will marry Catherine, who's now 23. So we've got 17 and 23. Problematic, a little, but you know.
0: Not back then.
1: Not back then. They get married and they have special permission from the Pope. So by the time Anne comes onto the scene in 1522, 13 years have passed. Catherine has given birth to one boy who unfortunately dies shortly after he's born. She has a series of stillbirths and miscarriages and gives birth to one girl who survives and this is Mary, who will eventually become known as Bloody Mary because of her passionate quest to return England to Catholicism and the hundreds of Protestants she burns at the fucking stake. Jesus. Yeah. So she's mm-hmm. not chill. So and she's like super anti-Martin Luther. Right. But that's decades in the future. And Bloody Mary is about five years old when Anne gets to court. So Anne is 21. Catherine, the wife of Henry, is about 38. Henry is 32. The king is becoming increasingly agitated about not yet having a male heir, which he feels he needs in order to solidify the Tudor dynasty with a third generation. Like, that's the most important. We all know that's the most important thing in their lives. You know what I mean? Right. So Anne has this older sister named Mary, and she's super fun. She's already made of honor to Queen Catherine And the same year Anne comes back from France, Mary becomes King Henry's mistress. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So unlike Anne's rumored relationship, Mary's extramarital affair with the king is confirmed. So there's all these like these stories about Anne, but they're not true. But Mary is like, for sure, for sure, the mistress. But Queen Catherine, who has been raised a princess and is a professional royal, basically just to turn a blind eye to her husband's philanthropist, philandering philanthropy <laughs> philanthropy no she's all about the philanthropy the philandering is the problem but she can't care about it you know what i mean right it's not show it no right you have to let it happen and she hasn't given her an heir so she can't really or male heir so she can't really make any demands herself poor thing so there's a third bolin kid in the Tudor court and that's Anne and mary's brother george and Anne and george are said to have a very close relationship the two love to banter together. They have a lot of inside jokes. People at court find them a bit annoying when they're together. So they're that, <laughs> that fun brother and sister. When, when we were kids, my parents divorced. We all had to go to family counseling.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And my brother and I just started making up these inside jokes because we weren't doing well. And so we like that's how we bonded. And the therapist fucking hated us because my brother (laughs) and I, and to this day, we have a secret handshake that we made up in family therapy to annoy the therapist. Nice. Someone psychoanalyze that, please. (laughs) And we still do that. We do the secret handshake whenever we see each other. So they're that kind of brother and sister, you know. Okay, here's a question for you. What do ice, cat litter, and laundry detergent all have in common? If you said they're heavy AF, you're right. Or if you said you don't know you're out of them until it's too late, you're also correct. Most importantly, these items can all be ordered directly to your house with DoorDash. At this point, we all know and love that DoorDash can deliver our go-to comfort meals from our favorite restaurants. But did you know that you can also order household cleaning essentials and even over-the-counter pharmaceutical products through DoorDash? That's right. DoorDash is here to help you in a pinch. Like the 30 minutes before you host a party when you look around and feel like you're missing something, quickly get extra decorations, scented candles, or beer and wine delivered right to your door. Or the day after the party when you realize you don't have enough garbage bags, wet wipes, or ibuprofen to make it through cleanup. DoorDash has you covered. DoorDash is perfect for my parties because every single time we don't get enough ice. Everyone always needs ice and they forget it. And running to the store when your party's about to start or when it's already started or in the middle of it is a nightmare. So having DoorDash drop off some ice or party supplies or whatever you need is so awesome. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Must be 21 or older to order alcohol, drink responsibly, alcohol available only in select markets. Goodbye.
0: MadeInCookware.com. That's
1: M-A-D-E-I-N Cookware.com. Goodbye. So Anne's debut at court is in pageant, a kind of skit with music and dancing that royals and members of court would perform. This particular pageant is about the virtues of good ladies and gentlemen, and each player is cast as a particular virtue. Anne plays Perseverance, while her sister Mary plays Kindness, And these are elaborate productions with multi-story sets and beautiful costumes. Hey, you love costumes. (laughs) According to historian Eric Ives, Anne and the other women wear, quote, Oh, hey, it is here. Thanks, Allie. White satin, each with her character or reason, picked out 24 times in yellow satin. And the headdresses were of cowls of Venetian gold set off by Milan bouquets, unquote. Wow. So... That's what they wore. So they had these things of like, here she is. Look at how fucking eligible this chick is. Blah, blah, blah. A
0: pageant, like a beauty pageant, but with a, a little story around it. Okay.
1: And there's a huge disagreement about what Anne Boleyn looked like. And this is mainly due to the fact that most accounts of her were either written by people who wanted to be in favor with her daughter later, Elizabeth I, or else by political opponents of Anne or Elizabeth, who fucking hated her. So it's hard to know exactly what she looked like. So some accounts describe Anne as a great beauty, while others say she had three arms, a protruding tooth, and a large growth coming out of her neck. Mm. There are also very few surviving portraits of her, and the ones we have might not even be of her. So most historians agree that Anne is basically just fine-looking, has dark hair, but what makes her stand out in court is her wit, her style, her charisma, and her intelligence So Anne quickly becomes extremely popular at court and becomes a maid of honor to none other than Queen Catherine.
0: If she became popular in court, I bet those descriptions of her being, you know, quote unquote unattractive are the thing that's gossip because that's a part of it. Right. And maybe she was just like, you know, normal looking. It's just like average, fine,
1: whatever. She doesn't have to be a great beauty because she's smart as fuck. And that's how it like that's, you know, that'll keep the marriage going. Sure. Until they kill you. So in those earlier years in the Tudor court, Anne has a few potential suitors. One attempted to arrange marriage. And then she and a man named Henry Percy try to arrange their own marriage. And these efforts are thwarted by a man named Cardinal Thomas Woolsey, who is the Lord High Chancellor, who is essentially King Henry's business and administrative guy. So he's the behind-the-scenes power broker in the Tudor family. He's a political rival of the Boleyn family. And so he's been working to arrange a different marriage for this dude, Henry Percy, that Anne had fa- fallen for. So this dude sorts the potential love match. So, like, her life could have been completely different. She could have picked out her own fucking husband. She could have moved on with her life. But no, this Cardinal Thomas Woolsey is a dick. So... In 1526, Henry has lost interest in Anne's sister, Mary, unfortunately. And Mary's now married. And so Henry, the fucking king, turns his attention to now 25-year-old Anne Boleyn. And here's where it all goes to shit. Mm. Henry has already stopped going to Queen Catherine's bedroom. He's already pondering an annulment or a divorce because of her supposed failure to produce a male heir. But when he first starts pursuing Anne, it's because he wants her to be his mistress, not his wife. And this changes over the course of a year. And we can chart the change through Henry's 16 surviving love letters to Anne. Wow. So those like exist. Unfortunately, none of her responses exist. But we do know from Henry's letters that she didn't always respond. I think she was playing this like not a game maybe she like wasn't even interested but whatever it is it fucking worked because he like slowly went from being like i want you to be my mistress and she's like fuck you no thanks haha and to him going let's get married Mm -hmm. like she did something i don't want to say right because that's like the end game being marriage isn't it's not who gives a shit but like that's if that was her point that it worked
0: well back then That's all they gave a shit about. (laughs) It's not, we can't be like, it's today. It's the same as today. It was 1500. So it was like a completely different world.
1: But I almost do get like a feeling and just from this stuff that like maybe she didn't want to be the king's wife or the queen, I guess you would call it. If she wasn't responding to his letters, she didn't want to be his mistress, which some would think would maybe lead to being the wife. She like wanted to marry some other dude and they wouldn't let her it seems like she wasn't that interested, like she wasn't pursuing it. Right.
0: And she didn't have to, cause women didn't really have a choice back then. So it was just kind right. of like, if the King picks you, right. you're it basically expect him in your chambers or whatever. Right. Totally. I mean, like totally. at, which then would actually, psychologically, it would make sense that if she is going like, oh, my God, I'm so not into this, then he's like, I must have you.
1: So the reason she essentially she doesn't want to be the mistress, even of the king, is that her sister Mary does get married after her affair with the king, but not particularly advantageously because she had had an affair with the king. So like she didn't marry up as high as she Mm. could have because this sullied her reputation and Anne doesn't want the same thing to happen to her. So she stays away from the court at her family's home in Hever Castle. And this is where Henry sends most of the love letters as well as a, how romantic is this, a dead deer, which he had hunted for Anne. Oh. Which actually like at the time, it's like deer meat. Great.
0: Yeah, that's probably a very, not a threat. (laughs) (laughs) Which is what it kind of appears to be. It's not. On its face. See, it's all different. You know, back then it was like Mm. the most romantic thing you could do. Kill a deer for a girl. Kill. Kill a royal
1: deer. We don't know exactly what happens, but after about a year of this back and forth, it becomes clear from Henry's later letters that the conversation moves towards marriage. And this is something that Anne is like, okay, like we can talk about that. By the summer of 1527, King Henry is showering her with gifts, including rings, bracelets, brooches, diamonds, rubies, silver book bindings, velvet book bindings, among many other things. Wow. Like dead deer.
0: And dead deer. Mm Mm-hmm. So King
1: Henry, now about 37 years old, enlists Cardinal Woolsey, that fucking guy who said nope to her marriage, to go to the Pope and ask for permission to annul his marriage to Queen Catherine, which is like, you can't do that in the Catholic Church, right? Divorce? It's like a no-no.
0: Well, annulment means that there was no grounds, like it was never, like not solidified. Anyway, yeah. there's a couple things that qualify it for being annulled, uh-huh. but that ha- there's like a certain rules, church rules. Of, like, you have to qualify for it to be annulled because okay. that the other thing is divorce, and I have no idea whether or right. not divorce was legal back then. So, Woolsey has a hard time getting that permission.
1: The problem is that Henry's main argument for seeking in the annulment is the fact that Catherine, his wife, had been married to his brother, and so he claims that her failure to produce a male heir demonstrates the illegitimacy of the marriage in God's eyes. But the Pope had already granted the official permission saying Henry could marry Catherine. He says, if he grants it, it says that he's admitting it had been wrong to allow them to marry in the first place. And he doesn't want egg on his frock. Mm -hmm. So he's like, no. Also, Catherine does come from an extremely powerful royal family. As you know, because you played her mom. That's in a right. Play. Isabella, Queen Isabella. Mm-hmm. And her own nephew is the Holy Roman Emperor of all people. And this is arguably the Pope's most important political ally. So it's all fucking politics. Don't pretend God is involved, everyone. Like, what a bunch of bullshit. Right. So ultimately, this causes the downfall of none other than Cardinal Woolsey because he can't get it to happen. They're like, well, it's your fucking fault. Fuck you. So in 1529, having been unable to secure the annulment, Woolsey is first stripped of his title of Lord Chancellor and is then arrested for treason. He dies on his way to trial. Oh, what a bummer. And this is all fine with Anne Boleyn, of course, because she didn't fucking like Woolsey to begin with. But going back to her time in France, she's also a true believer in reforming the church. And she shows King Henry of reformer texts, which point out that the Bible never mentions a pope. And says that kings are actually highest authority next to God.
0: Hmm. So she's like, let me show you what I think. She like went to the OG text and was like, hey, guess what? They don't even acknowledge you in this book. So that's a badass move. Bullshit. I call bullshit on everything. Like the world. She's essentially calling
1: bullshit on the government and how it works. Which is pretty rad. The texts she shows him are incredibly controversial even heretical but they make an impression on the king and they also happen to chart a path that would make anne queen but most historians agree that anne was a true reformer and wasn't only serving her own ambitions so she actually was really interested in this stuff henry finds a new fixer upper a man named thomas cramwell whose name is so familiar He doesn't have the same title that Woolsey did, but he winds up having a similar role. And he is the person who ultimately gets King Henry the annulment, though not by getting permission from Rome. In 1532, Cromwell convinces Parliament to come up with a list of abuses in the Catholic Church and to pronounce King Henry the leader of the Church of England. And this means Henry can get the annulment and finally marry Anne. They're married in a secret ceremony at the end of 1532. The marriage is made public in 1533. And in June of that year, Anne is crowned queen. Catherine's title is changed to Dowager Princess, and she moves to several different palaces before her death three years later.
0: Like, what a Hmm.
1: bummer. Just discarded.
0: I actually think I might take on the title of Dowager Princess. (laughs) I wish she would. I think that really suits me. In my middle age... Thing with a veil? A veil, and then I don't know, maybe just start hunching over. Oh, I think yeah. I always thought it like there's a thing called a dowager's hump, oh. which is like some sort of what do they test you for in school where they Reinal make you bend over?
1: Spine doculus, spine scoliosis? Scoliosis. Thank you. Scoliosis. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so Anne is about 32 years old when she's married and crowned, and she quickly becomes pregnant, which is like the whole fucking point. She gives birth to a healthy baby girl, Elizabeth, the future queen of England. This is a big disappointment, of course, because it's a girl Mm -hmm. Anne had been sure it was a boy. Doctors and soothsayers had been sure it was a boy. The birth announcement had already been written as a boy and they had to be edited to change the word prince to princess. Like that's how fucking Mm. sure they were in anticipation of a boy a celebratory jousting match had been arranged this has to be called off like they were fucking sure finally it was a boy
0: but also why? why does it have to be called off they can't have a girl jousting I just don't boys only because so. it's not the, the same kind of celebration it's so phallic the jousting you know <laughs> still elizabeth the
1: baby is given a lavish christening and henry and anne believe there is still time to have a boy you got to have the big sister, right?
0: Mm-hmm. England's
1: break from the Catholic Church is ongoing, and Anne continues to be a reformer. She's a fucking rebel. She keeps an English version of the Bible in her room for anyone to read, since many have only ever read it in Latin, which means they don't totally understand what's going on, meaning the Pope and all these, the church is in charge of like the definition and what you think, right? And so yeah. it's technically prohibited to have an English version of the Bible since the Church of England hasn't caught up with its own laws or its own version of what will become Protestantism yet. So Anne advocates on behalf of people who have been imprisoned for possessing English versions of the Bible. So she's before her time for sure. Anne's true passion for reform is also where the first seeds of her demise come from. So her former ally this Thomas Cromwell starts to become an adversary after England's break from the Catholic church. There's disagreement on where all the wealth from England's monasteries should go and argues that it should go to the people and to charitable causes like a normal fucking empathetic human being. But Cromwell argues that it should come back to the king and be distributed among none other than his close friends. Hmm. Like, Oh, that's convenient for you. So Anne's relationship with her husband, Henry, also becomes rocky fairly quickly. He had been chasing her for about seven fucking years trying to get up in that. And now that he has finally gotten what he wanted, of course, he's not quite sure why he wanted it so badly. Anne's wit and her outspokenness and her charisma, the things that initially drew Henry to her, are no longer as charming to him anymore. Now that he expects her to not be herself anymore, now that she's a wife. She challenges him in a way that Catherine didn't. He begins to turn his attention towards someone new, a woman named Jane Seymour, who was one of Anne's maids of honor. So he's just mm-hmm. like plucking them up. Over the course of 1535 and early 1536, Anne, now about 35, has three miscarriages. And she finds herself in a very similar position to Catherine of Aragon. This time, though, King Henry can't say that the marriage was invalid. So he can't just get another annulment, right? That would be putting his own foot in his mouth. So he assigns Thomas Cromwell to gather evidence against Anne. So what Thomas Cromwell finds is this. On one occasion, Anne, who, like all queens, was expected to engage in some like degree of slightly flirty banter with the court, people at parties or whatever made a remark that went too far. She said to a courtier named Henry Norris, quote, you look for dead men's shoes for if it came to the king, but good, you would look to have me. How is that? That was my British accent. Unquote. Is that good?
0: It was really good. Thank you. Yeah. Really good.
1: What she meant was quote, I think you have a crush on me. And if the king died, you would be asking me out. Oh, wow. Which is, like, hot. But this is technically treason because no one is supposed to talk about the king dying. Mm -hmm. So the remark to Henry Norris is literally the only charge against Anne that historians believe actually happened. So every fucking thing else that they said she did to kill her... That's the, her saying that one thing is the only thing that actually like stands the test of time. Right. So Cromwell arrests a court of musicians who, after being tortured, admit to having an affair with Anne on May 2nd, 1536, Anne is arrested for treason and for having affairs with five men, including her own brother, George Boleyn. So they're like, you fucked these dudes and you fucked your brother? Like... It's like almost an an added level of humiliation. It Mm -hmm. seems like that's just insane. Yeah. The only evidence that Cromwell can produce that she had an affair with her brother is that on one occasion, George visited Anne for a long time. Hmm. That was his proof. Historians mainly agree that the Norris conversation did probably happen, but the rest of the charges are completely made up. So on the day of her arrest... 35-year-old Anne is brought to the Tower of London to the same royal apartments she stayed in before her coronation. So she's just fucking back there. And that had been just three years earlier. So, like, that's how long she was queen for. It's just three years. Yeah. About two weeks later, she and her brother are tried separately, but the result of the trial is a foregone conclusion. The other men, the musicians, have already been found guilty. There's a jury of 27 men, but all of them know that the king wants a very specific outcome for this trial. So both Anne and her brother are sent ultimately sentenced to death. Yeah. There's some disagreement among historians about why King Henry took the unprecedented step of executing his wife instead of just finding a way to divorce her and maybe send her to a nunnery. Like it's pretty extreme, especially since his last wife, he just kind of figured out a way to like get out of it. Right. Mm -hmm. Something Thomas Cromwell influenced the decision since he and Anne were at odds politically and she was outspoken about her beliefs. So another thing of, you know, fucking staunch women, are too much for these dudes to handle.
0: And she didn't give him an heir, right? That's the big, that's the real thing, is he wants that heir. Essentially, yeah, yeah. But he only gave her three years, you know? Right. So it's not like he gave
1: her 10 years and it didn't happen. It almost sounds like he got bored of her. Right. More than anything. Others feel that Henry simply did it to save face, to be able to marry Jane Seymour, and also to have a son, like you said. The other wife that Henry would eventually behead Catherine Howard admitted to adultery, but Anne never did like there's no real evidence that she had any kind of affair so there's all these rumors about her she has a bad reputation in history but there's no evidence at all that this this was true. So Thomas Cromwell assigns four ladies-in-waiting to be with Anne in the days leading to her execution. So she has to fucking hang out and sit around in these apartments while she's about to be fucking executed. Yeah. Like, what a bummer. And they, the ladies-in-waiting are not her closest confidants, which is done on purpose, you know. Cromwell wants them to spy on her, but instead they start to feel sorry for Anne in her final days. Anne goes back and forth between grief and shock. Sometimes she even has laughing fits because she's just like... This is absurd. Yeah. In the days leading up to her execution, she gives her final confession to the Archbishop of the Church of England. She confesses to jealousy, but nothing else. And this is why people see this as solid evidence that Anne did not commit adultery. She's already been condemned to die, and she like everyone else at this time believes in hell, so she would have confessed at this point that she had had an affair with, you know, the church. Because otherwise she thinks she would have committed herself to eternal damnation by lying. So it's pretty certain that she didn't lie about it. Right. The four men, including Anne's brother, are all executed two days before she is. Their executions are held on Tower Green outside of the castle walls for all to see. Anne can't see the execution from her apartments. But since those executions are public, she can probably hear the crowd's reaction. Oof. To those innocent men and her own brother's hanging.
0: And it's like a little preview of what she's going to go through. Like
1: it's suddenly real.
0: Yeah. I can't
1: imagine. The four men are killed the traditional way, which is with an axe, which I guess doesn't get the job done right away. When you have an axe, you have to swing it a few times.
0: No. I
1: know. So Anne's execution date is set for May nineteenth, fifteen thirty six. Her ladies in waiting dress her in a dark gray silk gown and an
0: ermine
1: wrap. What's that?
0: Ermine. Um, I think it's ermine. Ermine. And it's a it's a kind of mink. Okay, ermine <laughs> wrap. I
1: No, that that is more than I know about it. Even if you <laughs> made it up, she's walked to a platform that's been built specifically for the occasion near a part of the castle called the White Tower. And it's been built in an area that's meant to be private because the king is like giving her these last charitable fucking-
0: Moments on earth.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so good of him. Yeah. People have found a way into the tower grounds. And when she's brought to the platform, there are about 2000 spectators. Jesus. I mean, this used to be like
0: a fucking Saturday out. It's like, let's go watch people get killed. Yes, for real. And also, I bet you, because she was, you know, all that gossip's going around about her. It's all that stuff of like, you know, Protestants versus Catholicism. Mm-hmm. She's bad in this way. She's, you know, people are spreading rumors. So then by the time they go down there to see her get beheaded, it's like, yeah, you deserve it. Right. So so King Henry VIII, to his credit, I guess, he
1: planned the whole entire event himself. I think. This shows that maybe he was like, I oh, you know, this isn't right. And maybe I feel a little bad about it.
0: How do you figure?
1: <laughs> well, listen, he is sent for a particularly skilled swordsman from France to do the beheading, which is a big deal. Okay. Yeah. So a beheading by a sword is much faster and less painful than the one by an axe, which sometimes okay. required multiple chops. So he did that. He put it in a private area. And also the sword... Has been hidden in some hay, so she won't see it as she's being let up. And the executioner goes barefoot, so she won't know when he's coming. Hmm. So those are the kindnesses he offers her.
0: Okay. Um, It's not enough, though. You know, ultimately, it's it's, it's really like breaking up with someone and then being like, but I bought you a Snickers. (laughs) Like, it's like, bam. But
1: way worse, way worse. So Anne's ladies-in-waiting help her gather her hair into a linen cap. And she kneels facing the crowd. And she makes her final remarks. She praises the king. She asks that they pray for her. And once again, she does not confess. She kneels and the barefoot swordsman sneaks up behind her quickly beheading her Ooh. because her execution by sword is so swift. Some accounts say that her mouth continues moving for a few moments after her head is cut off. Mm. But Anne's ladies in waiting quickly cover her head with a handkerchief. King Henry, as we all know, will go on to have four more wives. Jane Seymour will die, but does produce a male heir. The King divorces Anne of Cleves, beheads Catherine Howard and Catherine Parr outlives him. After the death of King Henry and the death of his son, Edward, and some succession drama, that's like a whole nother fucking story. It is Anne's daughter, Elizabeth, who becomes the Queen of England. Mm -hmm. Anne solidifies England's position as a Protestant nation, enshrining a lot of the reforms her mother was so passionate about. She rules for almost 50 years in what will later become known as England's Golden Age. On her finger, she wears an elaborate ring encrusted with diamonds and rubies, and it has a secret compartment that flips open like a locket, and inside there are two portraits. One is of herself, and the other, most historians agree, is of her mother. And that is the story of the life and death of Anne Boleyn, who probably was a little ambitious, but what the fuck is wrong with that?
0: Wow. That was like a full-on history lesson. I know. Look at me. <laughs> <laughs> look at you and your interests. I know. Can you
1: imagine us having done that that story and the story you did last oh week together in
0: three fucking hours? Just like, and one more thing. Ugh. And another thing. And another thing. Wow, great. I mean, look, they just knocked that one down. Yeah, that's right. Getting our work done. You no, know, we got to go have a, a Monday night. Yeah. I'm going to go walk cookie. I'm going to fucking go touch grass. Go be outside. (laughs) Yeah. That fresh, crisp fall air that's out now. it's almost spooky Halloween. I was just laughing with Bradford about this. It's like they started putting out Halloween stuff after 4th of July, like so early, but I'm loving it. It's people are so into it and so excited. And like,
1: you can tell everyone had a bad summer and they're like, (laughs) can we get on with this nonsense?
0: Can we put on long sleeve shirts and start putting pumpkins (laughs) with faces everywhere, please? Did she
1: see the thing where they like put peanut butter on a pumpkin in the shape of a jack-o'-lantern and then put it outside and let the rabbits and the squirrels eat along the peanut butter. And then it turns into a jack-o'-lantern because they just eat the peanut butter.
0: (laughs) Oh my God. So so they made it. I mean, yeah, it's everybody loves spooky season. It's just the truth. Sure. Well, thank you for listening. I bet you if you're listening to this podcast, you love it more than most people. Definitely. And that's why you're still listening to us. We appreciate you. <laughs> we do. Thanks for being here. Well, we have fun with you. You know. And because of that, we want to tell you to stay sexy and don't get murdered. Goodbye.
1: Elvis, do you want a
0: cookie? This has been an Exactly Right production. Our senior producer is Alejandra Keck. Our managing producer is Hannah Kyle Creighton.
1: Our editor is Aristotle Acevedo.
0: This episode was mixed by Liana Squalache.
1: Our researchers are Marin McClashin and Allie Elkin.
0: Email your hometowns to myfavoritemurder at gmail.com.
1: Follow the show on Instagram and Facebook at
0: myfavoritemurder and Twitter at myfavemurder. Goodbye. Goodbye.